Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Jack Grealish doesn't need to be liked. He's a brilliant footballer. That's the only thing he's actually going to be judged on. No one gives a flying fuck if he's a nice guy. Nobody that matters anyway. Nobody going to the stadium cares. Nobody who might buy him or pay his wages cares. What is the point of trying to create this good social media profile? This is Paul McGrath. You're listening to the Villa Podcast. So I left while you were sleeping, that's all it took. I was in one dark place at halftime of that game. Honestly, I haven't been as deflated after 45 minutes of football. I just thought it was done, it was game over, and then it made it worse by going on to Twitter, which I should never have done. And we were almost all not even patronizing ourselves, just sort of excusing ourselves. Like every everything, all the and, and to be honest, I was guilty of this as well. I did send a WhatsApp wins to this extent um, to other people, not to you, and I won't even go through it. But I said, you know, City are too fucking good. What's the point? And then I went on to Twitter, and everybody was saying the same thing. Unfortunately, they're just too good. What are you going to do? You know, that's that's just brilliant from City. That's why it was mostly annoying. City are too good. But we should not have been 2-0 down. We shouldn't have conceded either goal. That's what was so fucking annoying. City are brilliant. They're so tight with everything they do. They're like they're so flawless with their touch. It's it's frustrating. And yet we just gifted them two goals and it seemed like game over. But it wasn't game over because Steven Gerrard got the boys in at halftime and he got a rallying cry from them. And by God, it was a spirited second half performance. And do you know what? And not looking to backstop ourselves. I know we lost, but given where I was at halftime, I will take that all day fucking long. Given where we have seen Aston Villa go to, the depths that we've seen him sink to when they're faced with a game over situation, that is a marked improvement. And that that was Villa and the the sound and the stadium and the the hope. And the way they had City rattled, almost dare say it, like that League Cup final of yesteryear, you know, where we had them on the back foot. We had chances, and it was our own fault that we didn't get back into the game. And I'll take it. All right, you fucking loser. <laughs> you fucking got absolutely annihilated in the first half. Yeah, the two goals were fucking mostly of Villa's own doing, but we were fucking pulled apart. 
it's like we weren't prepared for the incoming onslaught. We hadn't decided how we were going to play against a team that would be zipping the ball around for 70% of the game. We were so fucking ragged and out of shape, dragged apart so easily. Like managing the best team in the league against St. Mirren doesn't prepare you for, for that. <laughs> and we were a fucking mess out of possession. And when I, when I saw that, that starting lineup pop up as well, I just thought, there you go, quicker than expected. But the fucking honeymoon period is over. We're getting separate taxis back from the fucking airport. He's changed the locks and he's shagging me best mate. And especially when you think about the performances of Buendia, Dougie and Bailey in the last game. And the performances of Young and Ramsey as well to go with that. It just looked fucking mad. And it was mad in the first half. We were fucking shambles. And those three players were a large part of it from a defensive point of view. But the only thing to get excited about was the fact that we were actually good in the other direction. We had so many opportunities to create opportunities that the players fucked up and it, or it just didn't work out. There was you know, a last-minute block from a City player. But we should never have gone into that game and allowed it to become so frantic. The amount of times we allowed City to counter our counterattacks was unforgivable. It should have been clear in everyone's heads going into that game that every attack ends. Yeah, the ball has to go dead. Yeah, like, and you know, maybe I'm romanticizing because of the second half um, performance as well, but, and maybe I am guilty of looking at the attack, you know, in that first half. Like, but I, I saw Douglas Louise chipping the ball over boys' heads. I saw him flicking it through people's legs. I saw him being the hero that you wanted him to be in that in that position on the left of the three midfielders. And, and I saw Buendia's touch. I saw him being on it. I saw him laying the ball off and going again. And I, I thought, this is a Buendia I can get on board with. This is a tidy little player. And he did it for most of the game. He lost the ball a few times. He still had that habit when he lost the ball or when his press didn't work out. He threw his head to the sky once more. He, needs to, he still needs to quit that. But but this was a big improvement from, from Emmy Buendia. And I don't know, maybe Pep giving us too much respect, maybe overthought it. But like the fact that he played Rodri and Fernandinho as well, I thought that was a bit strange, right? Yeah, a bit strange, a little bit hamstrung because he was in such an emergency situation with his squad, you know, <laughs> being so decimated coming into that game. I mean, imagine bemoaning the fact that you had only had 15 players that cost over 50 million quid. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. And needing to use two England under 21 internationals to pad out the bench must be yeah. fucking heartbreaking. Like, I'm not, I'm not really sure how he faces every day with that fucking situation facing him. Like he's had to replace De Bruyne with the best player from last season. He's had to he's had to replace Foden with Silva, who's his best player this season. And Grealish has been replaced with a fucking winger that scored a hundred goals in the last four years. Like he's a fucking mess, a dickhead Pep Guardiola. Never mind the fact that he had that he's got three superstars just on the cusp of coming back and one of them fucking came on today. And the fact that one of his innumerable sixty million pound defenders is just suspended. And is available for selection now, tomorrow. <laughs> he's, he's whinging about missing players just before he plays Aston Villa. A squad a squad that's worried, coming into that game, I was worried about missing Danny Ings, fucking Trezeguet, and a player I've compared to a cheeseburger. Like, Pep Guardiola's worried about elite players having to perform across a couple of games, a few games a season. That's exactly what they're for. That's the primary difference. That's what makes them elite. Like, there's nothing that Rian Mares can do with a ball that Bertrand Trory can't do. But Marius can do it for 50 games a season. Trory can do it for 50 seconds. <laughs> like, I, I couldn't believe whenever I heard that originally. when I, I thought he was just 
trolling us all. And then I realized I was falling into the fucking the pep infallibility fallacy. For for a brief period, I was assuming he just must have a brilliant sense of humor because this is too funny. He couldn't be that arrogant, ignorant, and entitled. But of course he is. He has all the fucking self awareness of a blow up sex doll, except he's the one that's fucking us. <laughs> Well, let's go through the goals. Uh, one, though, like, yeah, like, it was frantic. We were being pulled apart. But it's just, it's so galling that we can see the goal from a shit pullback. Like, just, like, Raheem Sterling is doing that automatically. I've said it before how boring it must be to play for City. You get to the byline, you pull it back, and, you know, and they're, and they're just going through this. Sterling is doing it without even looking. He, like, he, there's nobody there, and he's just pulling it back. But we let it travel 25 fucking yards. <laughs> Across the box, out to a centre half, who has a shit strike, and then Matt Target ducks out of the way, gets the hell out of the way, and gets the ball, hits him. <laughs> and it just it just glides into the net. I'm wondering, should, should Martinez have done better? But, like, you know, his fullback has just, like, all of a sudden got the fuck out of sight, and it's just gone in. He couldn't have been expecting that. Yeah, play the fucking tapes. Like, Matt Target once again reveals that he's afraid of the fucking ball. Yeah, like, it happened no- before. Unbelievable! I've I've said that sentence a, a disgraceful amount of times. He, he does his best to suck his head into his body like a fucking turtle to get it out of the way. I'm surprised he didn't slip a disc compressing his neck and back so much. Then I realised he's fucking spineless, so there was no fear of that. <laughs> Tunnel. Um, let's go back to the very start of this, which begins. With Matt Cash being so fearful of me finding him a week's wages for knocking a cross <laughs> out for a goal kick, that he just completely overhits. Oh, he connects with it, all right. It's not going out for a goal kick, but it's going to the other side of the box where nobody is. And then, like, it is, look, it's amazing that, that this starts with City trying to get the ball under control in the air, under a bit of pressure, and it's it's that tightness and composure that I was talking about, the the ability on the ball, the way they can all just get it under control and do what they want with it. Like It's just everything sticks. And, uh, you know, it, at first glance, it looks like just a brilliant sweeping move up the pitch. And then you look back, and Tyrone Mings has decided to mark Jesus from the number 10 position. Aston Villa's number 10 position. Tyrone Mings has just wandered into centre attacking midfield. And not only that, he is pointing to Kanza to say, keep an eye on Bernardo back there. Kanza is right behind Bernardo. He's doing what a centre back should do. Mings knows that Hazes is behind him and continues to walk forward. And all of a sudden, the ball is knocked over Mings' head and Kanza's left two on one. Nice cross, lovely finish. Yeah, like the exploitation of the fucking state of our team was impressive and the the finish was gorgeous. But like, how has Mares got out of there at the edge of the box as well? I mean, the really annoying thing is that Dougie has already fouled him and Mike Dean was just playing away to see what would happen. So <laughs> fucking foul him. Yeah. You've already been punished. End the move. It's at the edge of their box. You've committed so many fouls on that exact blade of grass before, Dougie. Normally in the other direction, but still, do it again. And yeah, where the fuck is Tyrone Mings going? Just a wee wander 15 yards inside the opposition half. Nowhere near. What, what is he pushing up on? I don't know. Like, you know, like, I would almost excuse this because we're so used to it if he just fell asleep and started dandering up the pitch like he does. But he was alert. He, the fact that he was walking up whilst pointing and shouting back at a better player is... I can't get my head around it. 
Yeah, you, you, you look after them there. I've got the space to, to mark. <laughs> and he's still got roasted by the space. <laughs> so, like, that that's what was so annoying. Like, you know, yeah, we were completely outplayed in that first half, but that's, like, it's two mistakes. It's it's two completely avoidable mistakes. But you know what? We've been here before, so maybe they're not that avoidable. Maybe that's just the difference between City and Villa. We have players who will do that stuff, and City have players who will punish that stuff. But we, we were giving them the chance to exploit our mistakes because we were just back into our bad habits, habits that we were so delighted and were shiting on about losing in the last game, but we fell off the fucking wagon in a big way. We were on a bender to end all benders. Players who were afraid to receive the ball, afraid to play the ball, hiding behind City players, all the stuff we talked about, not running to help your teammates, playing five pointless passes before eventually shuffling it back to Tyrone Mings to hoof downfield and all out of play. All the things that we have despaired about for the last 18 months, all the darkest moments of being an Aston Villa fan for the last two years were just back. Allowing Watkins to be isolated when doing all that. I mean, if you're shuffling the ball back to Tyrone Mings so fucking deliberatively, so over five unnecessary passes, what the fuck is Watkins being on his own for? If you're playing the ball long, play your midfield high. Play your wingers narrow. They don't need to drop in to get the ball because it's not fucking going to them. Go stand around Watkins and get ready because Watkins will fucking win it. Well, he did do that in the second half. It was a very. It was, it was the first time I've seen Villa set up with what he did at Rangers. It was very much a four-three-two-one. Then the wingers did come in narrow. They did get around Watkins, and it was a much better second half. You know, a lot of it's City probably trying to contain what they had, but but Villa were better. Like you know, again, City had loads of the ball, but when we had it, we threatened them a bit more. We we got around each other a bit more. We yeah, you know, we went direct a bit more when we had to as well, and it all started. With an Ollie Watkins screamer, like this finish was beautiful. I, I I can't talk up this highly enough. It was it was it was gorgeous, like lovely cross from Douglas Louise from the corner. Austin McPhee comes to the rescue in this in this dire situation. Lovely cross in, it bounces perfectly in front of Watkins, who's made a nice move, and he's just caught it so well that it curves inside the near post and clips the near post. Like brilliant execution. Yeah, it's brilliant from Watkins and Young in the build-up, and particularly Young's nudge on Shinchenko over the <laughs> end line. But when I saw Young leave the corner to Dougie, I was not happy. <laughs> but it was beautiful. It was a beautiful corner. It was beautiful in its simplicity, and it was a really good goal. Really good goal. Um, we will have a bit more positivity. I think maybe I will. Maybe you won't. Am I, am I reading that right? Let's find out together, Colin. <laughs> well, we're not going to find out in WhatsApp whinges, but we'll do that next. First WhatsApp whinge from the first half. Let's let's see if you can guess who this is. I'll give you one clue. It's, it's, from, it's from a Villa attack. You absolute cunt. <laughs> well, this isn't Leon Bailey, then I don't... <laughs> I don't know if I want to be involved in a football podcast for you anymore. <laughs> Correct. Leon Bailey sees Buendia go through and decides to just do a chop back. You know, with no intention of receiving the ball after he does a chop back. But it's going to look cool when he does it and it goes straight into two City players. Because in the two City players who were standing next to the one City player who was right in front of him. Yeah, fucking absolute brain dead moron. What a greedy little bastard. So stupid. And we needed that 
so much as well because we were under so much pressure in that time. And this is what I'm talking about. I'm sure there's going to be a lot more than coming up. But the amount of times that we nearly created a chance and that was the most galling of them all. And that was annoying because like this was around the stage where Buendia was starting to get into a bit of a groove. He had, he had just dropped the ball off a couple of times and you know, looking tidy. And at this time, he dropped it off to Bailey. Lovely first touch. He came at him fast and long. Lovely first touch. And then he had he just produced this pace out of nowhere where he got ahead of Bailey and got into the box. And like he, you know, I think it might have been Diaz that was still going to be able to cover him, but he could have got a shot away or he could have caught inside. He had more space than Bailey and he was in a way better position. It was the most obvious pass in the world for Bailey to just roll that through for him. Yeah, definitely. And Bundia was could have just taken it on his right foot straight away. He would have been at the edge of the box. It was there. Diaz did do really well to to close down the space between the two of them. They cut off the option to make it seem like there was less options, but the pass could have gone a lot earlier and it should have. But whenever the move breaks down, Bundia isn't interested anymore. All he has to do is step to his right and he can get the ball back from Douglas Louise. But then he just starts telling Douglas Louise to calm down or just puts his hands out and doesn't move. Like you can tell him to calm down, but also make yourself available. Like yeah. Douglas Louise is standing on the ball now and he's got no fucking options because you're standing in behind Fernandinho. Fucking move to the right and take the ball. You're at the edge of the box still. I want to talk about him a bit more later, but there's some difference when Ashley Young comes on for that press, isn't there? Like everybody just moves as one. Then nobody goes with these stupid runs. Nobody goes in these obvious ones that they're just going to get picked apart. Like it's just going to be passed around them. They all move as a threesome. It's just, it's just a bit of sense and a bit of leadership and just looking around at what's happening and giving up the one that you're not going to win anyway, and then looking for the next pass because City are going to make a hell of a lot of passes. So don't worry about it. You, you'll get another chance as long as you don't commit yourself. And if you do commit yourself, like Tyrone Mings did, you'll get caught out. Yeah, well, exactly. It's, it's almost like Ashley Young is cleverer than the three fucking dunces that are playing in behind Dolly Watkins before that. <laughs> Second WhatsApp winch. What is the point of passing the ball along the fucking goal line? Like, I, I well, especially tonight, but I don't know if I've ever once seen that pay off for Villa. I, I haven't seen them get out after keeping the ball in such dangerous, perilous positions, playing so tight, and then, like, you know what? It was worth the risk because look how we've cut them open now. It, it never happens. They, yeah. they play so tight, they risk a goal. It's amazing they never actually concede from these positions. And then they just fucking clear it, and they don't get a proper clearance because they're A, deeper, and B, they're under way more pressure. <laughs> Oh, that them being deeper is, just, is so depressing. The Villa are so shit on the ball, it's unbelievable. The, the, the amount of times that they wastefully pass the ball around just to eventually hoof it up the field. Just hoof it up the field. Let's, you know, who are we kidding here? We, we, spe- we tried it a few times against City. City didn't give a fuck. They were pressing up. They were going for the fucking juggler. So yeah. let's just clear the ball up the pitch. Let's play a different type of game. Let's kill the fucking game. Let's not make it a game of football anymore because we're being destroyed. Even a couple of times, even for a couple of the goal kicks, let's get the fucking ball up the pitch. Let's not kick it out for a corner. <laughs> I forgot about that one. <laughs> well, but am I missing someone? We've got all these fucking walkings up top. I couldn't think of anybody better to play that game with. You know, like we're under pressure. We're going to, they're going to press us up. Let's head it over that press and find Ollie Watkins, who 
probably 50% of the time, no matter who he's playing, will win the ball. He'll make it stick. And he'll, if you get around him, because everybody knows this is what's happening, then he'll be able to find a teammate. It, it, some of those balls he brought down even tonight, it was class, and it made it all the more baffling that they didn't do it all the time. Well, that's the thing. I mean, even if you couldn't think about it before the game, that, you know, geez, we could exploit this here. Yeah. You saw it every single time the ball went to him. If it was to his feet, it was killed, and it was passed off. If it was to his head, he won it and played it into none of his fucking teammates. <laughs> Third WhatsApp wins. Matt Target doesn't deserve a fucking wink from Konza. <laughs> this is the one Cancelo cuts inside as Target goes sliding by him as clean as a whistle. No no contact, no threat whatsoever of interrupting Cancelo's stride. And uh, Cancelo puts it in and Konza clears it. Gives a wink to his mate who's yet again pulled out of the fire. Who's yet again selling himself like a fucking gigolo who is desperate for cash? Like Jesus <laughs> Christ Almighty, that lad! I think the last game, the last game he did this, Connor Gallagher. Connor, yeah. he's not exactly a renowned dribbler. Just scoops the ball up over the top of him. Unbelievable! You're a fullback, son, and you get rinsed by another fullback. Yeah. Last one. Matt Cash is enjoying one-on-one defending so much that he's given up on being arsed about crossing. <laughs> so, like, you know, there's a, a lot of love for Matt Cash that I'm feeling towards him tonight because he really has brought the joy back in one-on-one defending and, and like, just that good old-fashioned duel of a winger and a fullback. Like, you know, Matt Cash has been doing this ever since he signed for Villa and most of the time he's been doing fucking brilliantly at it, and I thought he had a good game tonight against Sterling. Um, but, like, yeah, and I love that he loves that, but maybe maybe spend a few minutes of training every once in a while crossing the ball. Yeah, it's hard to know, because imagine how fucking tired he'd be playing against Sterling. And yeah. it's it's not just that he's going at you constantly, it's the way he's going at you. He's stopping you, he's sprinting again, he's stopping, he's sprinting again. He's spinning in behind. He's coming short. He's just non-stop. And the energy that'll take out of your legs, just because you have to be so clued in as well. You have to be in constant red alert that that just exhausts you as well. So it's hard to know if he just didn't have anything left in his legs. There was one in the first half where he he made a 70-yard run. We lost the ball, of course, and he made a 70-yard run back. And then I think the ball comes in a camba. And because we just broke it up, it was whenever the game was a game of basketball in the first half for about 10 minutes. Yeah. And the Canva plays the ball forward to Cash again. And he goes again yeah. and he gets there. But he just has to turn around and roll it back. But his, his ball playing and his crossing was was off. The one where he tries to play it to Watkins at the back post when Bundia is just in front of him, it would have taken a 10-yard roll around the corner. And he tries a big dramatic whip around two defenders to Watkins. Like he, his head was obviously gone as well as his crossing ability. Yeah, you see, that's it. Um, Gerard said before the game that you know we need this game to really see where we're at, and I think you know there, there were a few players there. Like, well, it, it really shows the difference in standard, and then the yeah, how how little you can impose yourself on the game when you don't have the right players to do it against City, like. Say John McGinn, for example, who's been electric the first two games under Gerard, and he, you know, came in at the last ten minutes there with a couple of really nice passes, but you know, he wasn't he wasn't offering much on the ball today. He was doing a lot of work. Matt Target, like you know, we can talk about his frailties in defence, but 
you know, even even that aside, which is crazy to put that aside, <laughs> he didn't do anything on the ball. I don't like you know he he could win the IC Westwood Award definitely if like you know, but there's no way that you would not notice him playing tonight. But like I, I I don't remember him once even like I I talk about him standing still on the ball too often. Like I I don't remember him doing that. You know, and that, and that was happening all over the pitch. And obviously that's probably what happens when you've got a team who have seventy odd percent possession against you. Yeah, yeah, it's really, really tiring running after the ball and trying to make sure you're running. You've got, you know, where Cancelo is. You know, you know where Rodri's dropping out. Like it's just exhausting watching all this unfold in front of you, constantly looking over your shoulder. It's it's tough. Yeah, um, there's only one you were mentioning Sterling there. There was one thing I loved. Uh, Sterling was trying to get at Kanza, and he was cut. He was sort of driving diagonally towards the byline, and Kanza sort of gave him that room. And just blocked off the pullback. And I was like, yes! Like, you know, we know the pullback's coming. Just stop it happening. And he, and then Sterling, of course, tried to pull it back when Conza was standing right there in front of him. And then he got a corner in fairness to him. Like, you know, it wasn't a stupid decision. But, yeah, it was just, like, you know, more of that. More of Conza on the pitch and it'll be all right. Yeah, exactly. But it's it's it, that is the really frustrating thing about playing against Man City. And we I, we talked about this last season as well. It, it's, it's, it is difficult. To stop, obviously, because no one can fucking stop it. Yeah. But I, I think Pep perpetuates this myth that he allows his players the freedom to decide what to do in the final third. It's just not true anymore. It was true when there was Henri and Villa and Etu and Messi. Like they were given a lot more freedom within the overarching structure, but that's gone. Yeah. Like Man City are so prosaic and machine like in their repetition that it is, it's often really hard to watch. But for the fact that it's progressive, I mean, if the patterns weren't trying to create space and score goals constantly, but like once you see what they were working on and training that week, the most interesting aspect is watching whether or not the opposition defense can stick with it and not fall asleep. You know, the common one they have is where they push the opposition to the edge of the box with just, you know, constant repetition of passes up between the fullback and the midfield back or to the fullback and they get closer and closer to the box and the ball eventually gets back to Rodri. And at that instant, both wingers step off the flank into the box. Opposition fullbacks follow yeah. them naturally. And that just allows space normally for Walker and Cancelo. The wingers in the centre forward and the wide midfielders all have their set runs as the ball leaves Rodri's foot then as well. And then the only decision-making process then is whether or not Rodri passes it to Cancelo or Walker and which of the three free men <laughs> that Cancelo and Walker is going to pick out in the box. Like it's it's that's what's happening, and it happens so often. It happened against PSG, and when the ball came out to Rodri, you see, you saw it was a goal. Rodri's got the ball fifty yards out from Man City, and you knew it was a goal because the left back for PSG has finally fallen asleep. You can see Walker's in behind. Rodri yeah. will make that pass, and Walker will connect with cross goal. Yeah, it's rinse repeat. I was actually thinking tonight that it, I would way rather be a fullback on the Man City team because, yeah, like the the wingers. You know, as soon as they're they're met with a with an opposition player, they they, they roll it back to the space, of, and then until that happens, until that that formula or that pattern reveals itself, then like until that space becomes available down where the fullback should be, then it's 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 the Man City fullback that's in there getting it. Then it's not the winger; he has to move to make space for the fullback. And I heard Grealish talking about how unreal Cancelo is. Now Cancelo is unreal, but it's like. You're fucking surrounded. You're you're unreal. You're surrounded by all these amazing attackers, and you're talking about Cancelo, but it's because these boys are on the ball all the time, and these boys are being laid up. 
by the creative players a lot of the time. It's it's a crazy way. It's it's like a basketball team. Like that's that that's the the way I can best describe it. Like you know, basketball is fun, and then you start moving up the grades, and it just starts becoming rhythms and and patterns, and and you just repeat plays over and over because that's that's the best and most effective way to create space. Unfortunately, yeah, <laughs> you can't just go off the cuff. Yeah, and this the, 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 again, it's this thing where you know Pep Guardiola makes players better. He doesn't make players better. He makes them better at playing within his really rigid system. Yeah. And I. I honestly think for players of that caliber, it must be fairly fucking boring. But look, it's obviously really fucking effective as well. No, and that's like you're 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 so right, and but that's what's actually most impressive about him that he can convince these players of that caliber to to go through this shit over and over and over for fifty games a season. Yeah, and like you're saying, it's like basketball, and it is it is like basketball. It's also like American football, where it's just he is just deciding what everybody does and everyone else is just a fucking blocker or a runner. They're just yeah. doing what he is dictating, and they're just soldiers for him. Yeah, in that same interview, Grealish actually mentioned that Pep has won some games on his own based on what he's done. And like that just shows you how they've all just bought into it and how they've just done exactly what he's asked to do. Just just repeat that pattern, and we'll get three goals from it. And they probably have come away winning 3-0, and all three goals were constructed in the training ground that week. And yeah, that, that's that's impressive for a manager. I'm just saying it's a, it's a little bit boring. <laughs> I would say that, having lost 2-1. <laughs> um, all right, we'll go into the award, uh, award categories after this. All these... Right, get over it. It's Aston Villa FC, not Jack Grealish FC. Get a fucking grip. <laughs> Somebody called me a wanker. Let us mourn. Somebody called me a freak. I mean, we've just gotten the news. It's devastating. We're upset. Somebody reported me to the Villa podcast on Twitter. <laughs> Did these people turn up to funerals or wakes saying, come on, get over it. It's the Doherty family, not the great Auntie Margaret family. It's time to find out what Uncle Jimmy's really made of. <laughs> time for Auntie Barbara to step up. <laughs> Fucking psychopaths, let me mourn. I'll rally around the Doherty family. I want them to do well. I want them to succeed, but I'm fucking devastated. It's not going to be the same without Margaret. R.I.P. Auntie Margaret. The Rossenthal Award is brought to you by the worst quote of all time. Heard it on commentary after... Another Kanza header just looped into the keeper's hands. And the commentator said, it will be an attempt on goal at least. <laughs> Fuck's sake. Like we need to, we need, as a people, we need to start thinking bigger than this. There's no Villa fan coming away counting the attempts on goal. Maybe there is. Maybe that's the sad thing about it all. Maybe he's on to something. <laughs> uh, th- thin enough award category for this today. Um, first half, probably only... One, yeah, only one nomination. Bailey had a chance. Watkins, great hold-up play from a Ming's clearance. <laughs> and then uh, found Dougie de Buendia to Watkins. And uh, Watkins does really well. Um, they hold it up. Buendia follows up. And the ball gets flicked back to Watkins again from Buendia. And it comes across to Bailey, who just scuffs the shot. He's under pressure and it gets blocked or whatever. But a uh, big chance. Yeah, and it was it was absolutely amazing from Buendia, and it's it's amazing ball, and he sprints up the pitch to help, and he wins it after the ball from Watkins, and he 
shuffles it out and feeds it back to Bailey, and the shot's not great. But yeah, no, it was it was absolutely brilliant from Wendia, who had an absolutely dreadful ten minutes to begin the match, and then he just has this sort of absolutely nowhere. And then the second half, our buddy Konza, just so close to taking that final step that we've been talking about for a few months now. John McGinn, like, he showed this ball a few times against Brighton in the first game under Gerrard. Just that deep cross, in-swinging from the right-hand side. Uh, goes over the top. Watkins, beautiful, caressed header down. And Konza should score. He's appealing for a penalty. It's not a penalty. He should just score. Yeah, he should move his legs towards the ball. He's just kind of running towards the ball. He should swing a foot at it. And I'm not really sure what he's doing. I would love to have seen a better replay of it because he was absolutely adamant that Aki takes him from behind. And I like, I could see why he was appealing for it from the two full motion replays that I saw. The angles weren't great, but yeah, I, would have, I wouldn't have minded another glance at that. And it's a, it's, a, it's a tight one, you know, in terms of who wins this award. I think this is the winner. It's, it's Chuck Wemmicka. Um, again, it's Buendia, it's Dougie, brilliant link up between the two of them. Chuck Wemmick has put through, he has time, he has space, he's about seven yards out. Uh, he's got all the goals to aim at and he hits it at the keeper and goes out for a corner. Because he's that close, the keeper's never going to hold it, but he would have held it if he was any further back. It's like, you think it's Chuck Wemmick, I mean, my God, that is just the, the archetypal sitter. I mean, it's amazing from Buendia again, and Dougie, but particularly Buendia. And the space is there to Ederson's right. Just roll it in. It wouldn't have taken anything. It was on his bad foot, but you didn't need to hit it hard. Ederson's down on his honkers. You can't do anything about it. Yeah. Just roll the ball into the net. That's like that. That's gut wrenching. I think it was in seventy odd minutes as well. So it was seventy five. Seventy five. It would have been a great time to score. The way Villa Park was at that stage, like he wouldn't have put a pass going for a a third. Like you know, City would have got a bit rattled. Like. They, like it was just there. Like that. Like that's the one to at least get a point in that game, and it's it's a big a big miss. What What did you think of Chuck Wemmicka when he came on? Ah, he was all right. He tried a few things that didn't work. Let the ball get caught under his feet a few times. Knew what he was doing a couple of times. There was a beautiful little interchange with Watkins on the right hand corner of the city box. Yeah. Um, to get through for that chance is encouraging. Yeah, like it was hit and miss in a. In a Difficult circumstance for a game that was so scrappy in those last 10 minutes as well. He takes up a lot of the pitch as well, doesn't he? He looks, he looks way older than, than he is. It's uh, He looks like a proper man when he's out there. Um, and yeah, like I thought that, that that game would do him the world of good. It's, you know, he got 25 minutes against City and then he, he got it in a time when Villa were chasing the game. And do you know what? I, I thought he was... He was Decent defensively, but he was part of that structure, that better structure we had in the second half where the two number 10s were tucked in. And it meant that the Villa had these sort of diagonal lines in, you know, blocking out. like they they almost like protecting a, a danger zone as such. And, you know, they were happy for City to go around the outside of it because they had these wingers tucked in now and they were just getting sold out by fullbacks out in the out in the wing. Chuck Wemmicker was a part of that. And I think the manager deserves credit for sorting it out at halftime. Yeah, definitely. I think the... The fact that Young went to left back as well helped with that because Young's much more able to get forward on his own. He doesn't need a winger in front of him to you know to allow the ball to come back to him. Young's more than willing to go on beyond the midfielder himself, and bringing on Sanson and Chuck Wemmicka was it shows how Gerard viewed the game there in the last twenty five yeah. minutes. They were both really aggressive substitutions, and they nearly worked. Sanson was good when he came on as well. He was. 
aggressive going forward. It's a few nice touches. Both of them were nice when they came on, as opposed to having any real bite and aggression and you know ability to drag Villa to a win. I'm going to combine the you like Glenn Whedon take a 90th minute penalty award with the the Tim Sherwood we play two number tens and bamboozled them award. So I want you to tell me which is which because there's a few ones that are up in there and I'm not, I'm not sure if it's a good decision or a bad decision. So um, first one from the team sheet really, Wendy and Bailey. I think like you know, I immediately I I, I immediately had the thought if Smith picked this team he would be getting destroyed but they're two big signings they're, you know, they cost a lot of money Bailey has been good for us and I thought that was Buendia's best game so in a way like you know I don't think we should write them off completely just yet and was it was it, was it that bad of a decision to play them and I think the Buendia one was justified in the end I, I, I thought I thought given honestly given how they played including and Douglas Louise as well and given how Ramsey and Young played the game before I thought it was a fucking mad call I thought it was absolutely mental. I could see what he thought he was trying to do there. Maybe D- Douglas Louise for Ramsey is a bit more explainable on paper. But Douglas Louise was so fucking bad when he came on the last game. Like he should have been sent off and he lost the ball about 10 times in 10 minutes. And let's not forget, Ramsey was really, really effective in defence against Crystal Palace. So, you know, managers get it in their heads because Douglas Louise has played deeper in his career that he's a better defender than Ramsey. He's not. Douglas Louise in the first, I would say the first half of that game, I was honestly thinking that the bleach had seeped through his skull because he was <laughs> once again brain dead and everything I expected when I saw the team sheet was justified. The second half, I thought it was one of his best performances. He was easily Villa's best player. He was absolutely fucking brilliant in the second half and he, he really fucking shut me up. Uh, Buendia... Similarly, except throughout the whole game, he was really, really hit and miss. I'd say Buendia was, for half the game, atrocious and half the game, absolutely brilliant. Similar to Douglas Louise. I mean, the first 10 minutes of the game, he just lost the ball when he was in 10 yards of space. Next thing he did, drills the ball off a City player who was four yards away from him. And luckily, Watkins was foiled in the build-up. Then he did that amazing run and set up for Bailey. I mean, the really annoying thing about Buendia is that I assume he's been thrown around like a ragdoll his whole career, his whole life, but he still hasn't figured out that he's not strong. Yeah, like he, he, he tries to use his arse like John McGinn, and I'm here to tell you, Emiliano, you do not have John McGinn's arse. <laughs> and he keeps trying to use it, and players are just putting their hands on his shoulders and just moving him out of the way, not even fouling him, just moving him out of the way. And he has to, he has to realize that he's not got that strength. There was one in the second half as well. Fernandinho ran away from him. Fernandinho. Oh, yeah, that was bad. It looked like he had really gassed out at that stage, but he stayed on. If that's unforgivable. Fernandinho was never fast, and now he's 37. And he was on the ball as well. It was Fernandinho was dribbling away from Buendia. Like, right me. Yeah. The one I was talking about where he's throwing his arms in the air with Bailey as well. But then he just had these moments of absolute magic where he was weaving in between City players, where he was playing incredible through balls. Look... We'll, we'll keep an eye on him, Connor. <laughs> no, but this is it. This is what we were trying to say. Like, you know, our biggest gripe of Buendia when we were criticising him earlier on is, is that, you know, it was his attitude. It was his, like, the way he was uh, approaching losing the ball or the way he was approaching somebody not giving it to him or giving him a pass that was 10 yards away from him or um, getting brought off. Like, it, it was those things mostly. And we, we wanted more attitude. Like, I, I will 
always forgive an attacking midfielder for losing the ball or you know, giving away as long as they're like it's, it's not even as long as their attitude is good and he has to improve that as long as they're offering he's someone else as well i thought he was i thought he was offering a bit of excitement and link play and i was like okay you know if, if, if i have to if i have to live with him losing the ball a few times i'll do that to get this output from him i still want to cut down the amount of times he lost it and you're right to mention the ragdoll thing because I think he's the player I've seen most uh, not be given a free for being left on the ground. It's one of those ones where refs seem to love to just say, get up, get on with it, you know, because it does look weak. It never looks like a foul. It always looks mm. weak. Um, he just needs to move it on a bit when he's in those tight areas. But but then maybe that's the playing centrally as well, like where we, we know he likes to play out wide. So maybe, yeah, maybe he's better out wide so he can have a bit more space. But like referees not giving a tiny player free kicks is really rare. That shows you how bad it is. Refs fucking love you. Can't foil a big man, and you and you can't not foil a little fella. That's yeah. that's the thing. Like refs will absolutely love giving fouls to small footballers. So the fact that he's not giving those fouls tells you something. I'm going to move. Oh, I'll make it like a meter, but I'm going to move the Buendia decision closer to the Tim Sherwood award because just, you know, it was a big call that we all raised eyebrows about and I thought he was good. So, uh, yeah, the manager deserves credit for having the balls to make that call. Um, yeah, still very harsh on Ramsey. Like, you know, one overriding thought was just like, Jesus, talk about shitting on Ramsey for no reason. Um, would have liked to have seen him play. That could, that could maybe go down as a Glenn Whelan nomination, the fact that Ramsey didn't even feature at all. Well, like the, the the injuries that we had didn't didn't allow that to happen. The fact that we needed to bring on a bit more energy. Maybe he could have came on instead of Sanson. Maybe Ramsey's not completely fit. I mean, he was taken off after 65 minutes in the last game. Yeah. Maybe he didn't have it in his legs to go again three days, four days later. Well, well, here's, here's another question. Tim Sherwood or Glenn Whelan. Sanson for Nakamba. Now, Sanson was good, so I'm inclined to say good move. Um, and it's, it's the best we've probably seen Sanson play, even though he was only on for a short period of time. But we had talked about Douglas Ruiz having his best 45 minutes for Villa, or best 35, whatever it was. And then he gets moves into the centre, and I'm thinking, no, like, don't. It's, it's just, it's, it's finally clicked. Like, this is this is what Douglas Ruiz wants to be doing. He wants to be bringing the game to people. He wants to be off the cuff. He wants to, like, geez, he was showing a bit of magic. Like, it, it was in these, it was. Like so many times he was in these tight areas and he flicked the ball over somebody's head twice to get to get away from somebody and I thought fucking hell like this this is a whole new level of unlocking space and that's that's what he was doing throughout that second half and then they they put the shackles on him a bit more they put him into midfield but then Sanson was good so that's why it's a question was this a good decision or a bad decision well, like, flicking the ball over players' heads is exactly the reason you don't play Douglas Luiz in defensive midfield. <laughs> like, I, I didn't think it was a necessary change. I think Villa had control of the game at that stage. I'm not sure what Nakamba's levels were like. Sanson was grand when he came on, but he was nowhere near as good as Douglas Luiz had been in that position. Douglas Luiz was always going to have to play defensive midfield, so it wasn't a particularly attacking sub. Ah, like, I don't think it particularly worked. Okay, um, and then the other one, which I'm inclined to say was a great decision, it's Chuck Wemmicka for target, but not you know not for getting Chuck Wemmicka onto the pitch. It's for taking the left back off, and like you know, yeah, he looked injured, 
But, you know, just putting Ashley Young, Ashley Young, what a man this man is. But, but just putting Ashley Young back to left back. And yet again, he, he's great there. He's solid there. And it was just a bit more intent as well. I felt it was like, oh, yes, here we go. Like we're, you know, we're bringing on Chuck Wemmicka for Target. It seems like a statement of intent. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Aston Villa went into that game with Ashley Young as their only option to come on as a winger and as a fullback. I think it tells you everything you need to know about him. And he came on in both those positions eventually. And like I said, it opened up the game. It allowed us to play those two attacking midfielders behind Watkins because Cash and Ashley Young are proper fullbacks who can stretch the game and stretch the pitch themselves. The Vimin meter going up, Douglas Louise. We talked about him a lot. Going up, Emmy Buendia. And going up, Ashley Young. Like, yeah, just like not even his performance levels that have been class. But, you know, telling telling Hayes to fuck off. Like, I didn't like Douglas Louise. No, Tyrone Mings mostly telling him to calm down. It's like, Mings, get the temperature of this game. The crowd are baying for blood. Hayes has been a prick. Ashley Young is trying to set the tone. And then he mints Mares in injury time. They win the ball back in the halfway line. They get us another attack. I just like he's got attitude. He he's a leader. He's a winner, and it shows the way he plays. And uh, yeah, I I just like the fact that he can come on attacking midfield. He gets shifted to left back, and at his age, and he's throwing snowballs at Chuck Wemmicka training. You know, we have to say like you you're not going to get too too far ahead of yourself. <laughs> I'm the fucking sheriff in this town. This is what we do, and uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, like talk about one of the signings of the season for you know for a free transfer. Ah, oh, it's been amazing. But of all the players to be telling another player to calm down, like fucking Tyrone Mings, know your place, know your history, your own history. Just remember the last couple of weeks, and as well for the player that he's telling, it's Ashley. Is it perfectly in control? He's just pissed off in this yeah. moment. This isn't going to affect a player with 20 years experience. This yeah. isn't Ashley Young's not about to, for the first time in his career, lose his head and <laughs> save down Jesus and get sent off. It's grand to run. He's calling Jesus a wink wanker because he's blocking the quick free kick. Let him do that. It's grand. Get up to the box for a pointless fluted free kick. That's yeah. what your role is here. <laughs> Yeah, Tyrone Mings won, by the way, the Peter Enkelman What the Fuck Award. Scooping that ball out to target. I'm like, what a hospital pass. Just <laughs> like floating it up for your fullback who's just stuck on the halfway line on the wing and then somebody comes along and just takes him out of it and, and that's target's game over. Maybe maybe it was a favour for us in the end, but um but yeah, and like in fairness, Target Target had a header in the first half, which was uh it had the trajectory of a, a birthday T clearance where it just went straight back into the mixer and almost considered a goal from it. He tried to head it clear and head it across the goals, but but I think that pass from, from Mings was, won the day. Oh, I don't know. I think the target the target cross was was absolutely the worst the worst yeah. thing because that absolutely precipitated as shit show for the next sixty seconds. Yeah, yeah. We all it was one of those ones where it was just waiting for us to concede from, which we almost did to say that all started from somebody not being able to clear the ball in the right direction. Exactly. Tar- Target keeps the shit cross alive by playing it across the six yard box, and then we have a two yard pass behind McGinn, and then Cash stands over the ball. I assume he was taking a breather, thinking that we got away with the shit pass to McGinn. Yeah. You're in Man City, Matt. You don't have Benteke lumbering around anymore. Like it's not, it's not fucking Zaha standing behind you, whinging at the ref. Let's fucking go. Yeah. 
Cash decides the best way out of this is to sit on the fucking ball. I mean, it was it probably seemed like the logical progression from the break he had just taken with the ball at his feet. He might as well just sit down on it. He really did need that fucking breather. John McGinn gets fucking jealous, knackered from lugging his arse around for the last 13 minutes, decides to go one better and just goes for a nap across Cash's lap. It was an absolute fucking shambles. <laughs> And it all starts with Matt fucking Target. Yeah, yeah. Well, Matt Target's going down on the vitamin meter, obviously. <laughs> um, probably like uh, going down Leon Bailey's muscles. You know, just it, it seems like they're they're made of cheese strings or something at this stage. Like they're just uh, seems like a new injury all the time. Maybe maybe he's just being unfortunate. Maybe it's a bad run. But come on, like you know, you're just you're just tracking back and you're pulling up with an injury. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, it was, it was grim, and it was it was actually a really good recovery run that stopped the city attack as well. But fuck's sake, mate, it was a forty-yard run. Yeah, uh, going down. Jack Grealish's cheek creases when the camera comes on to him after a goal. <laughs> Big smile. Eventually, just quickly turned to a, a normal resting face when when he realised that the the cameras were all over him. But here's the other thing: like, why are footballers so obsessed with their social media profiles, with their with their profile and their assumed personality external to the football? It's fucking irrelevant to their careers. Yeah, Jack Grealish doesn't need to be liked. He's a brilliant footballer. That's the only thing he's actually going to be judged on. No one gives a flying fuck if he's a nice guy. Nobody that matters anyway. Nobody going to the stadium cares. Nobody who might buy him or pay his wages cares. What is the point of trying to create this good social media profile? He'll get advertising money if he's good at football. That's where he'll get it, not because he's a nice guy. He doesn't need to pretend anymore. Why does he, He's clearly happy in that moment, and then he has to put on a frown because he realizes, oh, fuck, I'm yeah. playing against my boyhood club who I've told everyone I love. I better pretend to be sad. Like, What the fuck are you doing? It doesn't matter. Just live your life. I almost feel a bit sorry for him now at this stage where I feel like he's just he's compromised himself. Like, yeah, he's there trying to perform in the way that he thinks he should perform at Villa Park. And then he comes on and he's getting fucking booed anyway. Like, I, I know we got a, he got a lot of, you know, thanks and claps and whatever else. But, you know, for a, like he's playing for Man City. Nobody wants him to do well tonight. He doesn't need, like, nobody, nobody cares, like, you know, that he's, now, like, taking the smile off his face. If anything, that's just made it worse that he's done it and then taking it off. It's like, just have a bit of conviction. And, like, yeah, he's made the move. Jack Reed, as we talked about before, we don't need to go over it. Like, you know, he's done a lot for Villa. It was it was amazing watching him play. But he he's playing for Man City. You know, he doesn't need to, three months later, be doing interviews talking about, I definitely 100% want to go back to Villa. It's, you know, it's not... You've just joined Man City. Go be a Man City player. Go focus on your career. Like, I'm, I'm not heartened in any way by Jack Grealish saying I want to go back there in six years' time. Like, uh, I saw somebody make an excellent point on Twitter today. It's like, you know, if we're, if we're going back for Jack Grealish when he'll be 32 at that stage, then this project that we're all talking about has probably failed. <laughs> we're not at that level that we want to get to you know in six years time you'd hope we are in the champions league and we're pushing on like you know going back for for city's leftovers in at that stage isn't a sign that we, we've really pushed on 
you know, like he might end up playing for Villa again. Like, you know, he might. Who knows? But right now, he shouldn't give a flying fuck about it. He's a City player. Just go and be that good player that we all know that he is. Just focus on that. And you're right. That will be all the plaudits he'll, he'll ever need. Exactly. And he clearly doesn't give a fuck anyway. So stop fucking pretending. I mean, you left. So just be a Man City player. Yeah. Going up, Villa till I die. The chant, like, well, goosebump stuff. Like, I've never never heard it that loud at Villa Park before. And I thought, that's that's the way to deal with it. There's a lot of, oh, a lot of people worried. Don't boom. Yes, boom. Arguments, this, this nonsense. Like, you know, it's not something we all need to get into. Like, you know, how should he be treated? Just, like, sing Villa till I die off the top of your lungs. And you know, it's a bit of a jibe. Like, that's the best way of doing it then. But you're focusing on yourself. You're focusing on this club that we all love. And that was that was great to see that ring out. I actually thought it was a stupid sub from Pep, you know, given the atmosphere. It was it was such a good atmosphere anyway. But when he came on, it was just Jesus. It went up to ninety. Then there, there was, it was just like there was more at stake, and uh, everybody was up and everybody was invested, and like everybody wanted this more than they had wanted it for the previous thirty five minutes. Ah, like the sub suits Pep Guardiola so well, doesn't it? Of course, he was going to do that. That is exactly the sub that Pep Gordiel wanted to make. He was never not going to bring on Grealish. Yeah. Anyway, questions we can't answer, but probably will. Should we just stop the Ballon d'Or? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like look. Messi was the top scorer and best player in a top five league, and in the Copa America as well. I don't really have an issue with Messi winning it. The fact that he essentially hasn't played a game of football since the summer should stand against him in a calendar year award. But we all know that it's only it's only the first five months of the year that matters or six months if there's an international tournament. And ideally, for the people who are choosing this award, they would just have a World Cup or European Championship to pick from. But you know, Messi plays in the Copa America, so sometimes they have a glance at that as well. And then you have seven games of 60 that a top player might play deciding the award. And in the odd years where there are no Euros or World Cup, it's only the knockout phase of the Champions League that matters. We all just need to accept that the Ballon d'Or's primary function is to to allow 14-year-olds to send Photoshop pictures to each other on Twitter of Messi with no hair or Ronaldo with a fat arse. <laughs> like, that's, that's what it is now. The Ballon d'Or... <laughs> The Ballon d'Or is, is chosen by national team captains and managers. So, you know, Alex McLeish, Mick McCarthy, Roy Hutchins, they all had votes in this award. And then the other people who are voting in it are journalists who ordinarily have very little interest in or understanding of the actual football from what I have read and seen anyway. It's the off-field antics, the gossips, the, the transfer speculation, changing room dynamics, the celeb fucking culture that interests them. And narratives, don't forget about the fucking narratives because they can't think for themselves. And the ones that are interested in the game are often so overwhelmed by the need to sound like they know what they're talking about. They use context-free stats as the source of their opinion. And given their complete inability to carry out any sort of objective and useful data analysis, because they're fucking journalists, they inadvertently reveal that they don't know what they're talking about. And anyway, enjoy work tomorrow. But for <laughs> for any for any Liverpool fans that are out there and upset, it's it is shambolic that Salah finished seventh. But just console yourself with the fact that the best player in the world at the minute plays for Liverpool. And if you're a Chelsea fan 
and you're upset that, that Georgina didn't win it, then reassess your life. <laughs> and like Mendy, Kante, Donnarumma, Spinazzola, yeah. Chiellini, Bonucci are players in his own teams that were more impressive than him last year. Nah, like, yeah, there's no Chelsea fan that, sh- that should want, for the good of football, that should want Jorginho to win that award. Like, he's a, he had a great season. Brilliant for him. Like, you know, but, his you know, team's like, had a great season. Yeah, no, yeah, I mean for him individually. I, I don't, sorry, I don't mean his performance-wise. Like, yeah, it was good, but I mean, like, you know, it was, it was great crack for him winning all those awards, but, like, it doesn't, it's, that's that's not what the Ballon d'Or should be. Like, let's just count up who's won the most trophies. Who happened to be in those teams who won the most trophies. Um... Yeah, and like the fact that they had to create a a new award for Lewandowski, a bridesmaid award, just to say sorry about that. Like you, you, you were the best attacker, but now we're going to give the Ballon d'Or to another attacker instead of you. It's just uh, that's just silly stuff. It's like um, it's 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 like when a young player wins Player of the Year, but they don't win Young Player of the Year. It's like, well, obviously they were the best young player of the year as well. If the, if, the, if the young, <laughs> but um. Yeah, uh, it's just it's frustrating, and like yes, like Salah being down to seven. That that's a nice segue into the last one I have. Liverpool won four one. Salah scored another beaut. I was just like just reading some of the the previews to this, and I'm watching. Maybe I should stop watching talk sport, but they hook me in. They hook me in. They're very good at it. Simon <laughs> Jordan, Simon Jordan in particular is excellent at it. And there he is. There he is calling Jurgen Klopp flaky, and it's like. Do pundits really think that Liverpool are afraid of Everton players? Do you think that's what it boils down to? That they're, you know, that they're cowards because Klopp complained that two players got injured for almost an entire season last season in this game. Like he's a manager, he's just putting pressure on a referee. Of course he's going to do that, and of course he doesn't want to see players getting injured. But it doesn't mean that fucking Robinson Robertson isn't, you know. A wee hard ass like Robertson's a wee bit of a scumbag in, in a good way, like the way we're talking about Martin is the way he grabbed Messi's head that time during the Barcelona game. Like, that's a player who doesn't give a fuck about who he's playing. Van Dyke isn't a coward, Van Dyke isn't afraid to play against everyone, he's afraid to go up against Jordan Pickford because Christ knows what he'll do. And this is the other thing, like, Colin Klopp flaky. Liverpool got two players injured last year. One of them was because Jordan Pickford is shite and is stupid and he completely lost the plot. He didn't mean to to do Van Dyke like that. He just did a Jordan Pickford and Van Dyke was the collateral damage. And Richarlison injured Thiago with the most disgusting tackle you've ever seen, but he did it because he was a coward. He backed out of that tackle rather than actually going in for a challenge. He just put his body horizontal to the ground and stuck his big studs out because he was afraid to go in and get hurt himself. And then the result was hurting somebody else. Like, <laughs> these players are tough. Like, mo- most players playing in the Premier League are tough fucking customers that have come through a lot of things. This idea that, that we're, we're back at underage level and there's a yellow streak running through your team is just nonsense. And the fact that we're talking about Liverpool having that going into a derby... They don't like it. They don't like it down at Goodison Park. But like they, they just went and waltzed all over them 4-1 when it should have been 7 or 8 by all accounts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I have a bit of sympathy with Everton as well, though, because they're shite. And... <laughs> but you don't ever need to go over the ball, knee-high, studs up to show you're up for a game or do whatever it was Jordan Pickford was trying to do. Doesn't it doesn't show your passion? It shows you're a shit goalkeeper with no composure. <laughs> like, you can play with aggression and passion 
without playing like a fucking scumbag, like say Liverpool do. You know, I, I there was a few. Uh, I, I, it sounded like Jordan was trying to make it seem like Liverpool were panicking about the game, like they were worried about going into this game or something, and that's why he was trying to get on top of the referee. Obviously, he wasn't worried about getting into that game. Maybe a few of the Liverpool fans were slightly worried getting into that game. In the same way that a few weeks ago, I had a few of them coming into me saying, oh, you know, United could do us here. They've got a couple of good players. They're like, oh, United aren't going to do anything in this game. <laughs> you haven't lost yet this season. United are fucking shambles. Everton are shite. Everton couldn't have collapsed more. Everton have been a disaster this season. You're not gonna. There's no worries about this game for any Liverpool fans. Any worry that exists is just because you do not want to lose yeah. against Everton. Yeah. But there was it's... never any fucking fear of you losing against Everton. Yeah, Everton are so bad that that's the only fear that you might not beat them. Because, you know, <laughs> because if you didn't, it would be embarrassing, sort of thing. Like that's that's the only jeopardy that was on the line. But uh, that's eight games without a win now for Rafa Benitez. Like p- people are saying. Who else would you get in? I'm, I'm inclined to think that as well. And I know we've had injuries and I know the team isn't great, but you know, you should have a bit of standards as well. Like, you know, you can you can demand some better results and some better fight. Some of these games are looking a bit toothless at the moment. Yes, yeah, so the wheels have gone come completely off. They're they're mess, they're they're no good. I mean the spine of the team was ripped out, but it's not like the players who have replaced that spine are bad either. I mean, you know. Decorey has been replaced with Alan, who was their best player last year, one of the best players last year. And Richardson is back now, and he can play where Dominic Calvert, or he can fill in for Dominic Calvert Lewin's goals, apparently. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll wait and see. I'll wait. Remember, remember, remember Richardson used to be good? <laughs> 50 million. Yeah. Um, and that's it. We're back on Sunday. Well, Villa are back. Might uh, the podcast might be out Monday? Um, just bear with us on that one, but you know, you'll, you'll get it into your feeds uh, at some stage. Filler playing Leicester, who aren't going well, they had a draw tonight against Southampton and fucked up another brilliant bet of mine, by the way. Although I had a really bad bet as well, half time I uh, tried to cover myself, went 5 0 city. <laughs> 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 and you know why? It's because I thought I could accept 4-0 and I thought, okay, I'll do 5-0 in case it is 5-0 and I get 15-1 odds. I was wondering why you bunched into this fucking podcast so chirpy. You're fucking expecting a 5-0 collapse. <laughs> uh, but no, in those 7-30 games, I had two two wins and two draws and uh, fucking Leicester blew it with a, with a draw of their own against Southampton. So, Conan, once again, this is just as bad as your fantasy football, where you've fallen into the trap of thinking anyone gives a flying fuck about your field or, you know, so close bets. You don't care. It is shite conversation, isn't it? And I'm recording it for the world to listen to. Anyway, uh, so back for the Leicester game, maybe Sunday night, maybe Monday, but uh, we'll see you then. And get in touch with us if you want. And we also have a 20% discount at look1977.com. The code is Vimin. Go enjoy it. Go nuts. And we'll chat to you soon. All the best. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.